Father, thank you so much for your goodness. God, thank you, Holy Spirit, the way you orchestrate things. Like we were just saying last week that you are the master conductor, that your spirit, Lord, speaks to people and says, okay, play this, say this, do that, go there. And God, I thank you that you're uh, leading Monica and Andrew here and, and God, all the testimonies that we've heard, Lord, all the things that you're doing in every single part of our lives, teaching us to love you more, teaching us to be surrendered to you. God, we know part of that surrender is to give you our tithes and offerings. So thank you, God, for every person who is so faithful in their giving to make it possible for us to transform Trumbull, for us to bring people like Andrew and Monica here, God. We want to see Warren turned upside down for Jesus. God, we do. We want to see the darkness pushed back, every addiction broken, and people filled with the joy and the freedom of Jesus Christ. Thank you for what you're doing in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. So much has changed since last Easter. The world has been shaken. Life has been disrupted. What we once called normal seems like it may never return. It's been easy to be discouraged, to lose hope, to feel the foundations of our faith begin to crumble. It's hard to keep our feet planted when the ground beneath feels like shifting sand. Now more than ever, we need to stand on the truth of Easter, a day which changed our eternity, changed our world forever. Death was defeated by life. Sin was consumed by mercy. The grave was swallowed up by victory. See, even in the darkest of moments, the love of Jesus could not be stopped. His faithfulness could not be broken. And when the dust settled, Jesus, he stood alive and victorious. Today, may we remember the truth of Easter, the power of the resurrection, and the promise of eternity. Yes, the world has been shaken, but the grave, it's still empty. And Jesus, he's still risen. Are you thankful for the empty grave? Amen? So glad you're with us uh, here at Easter. And uh, again, we're leading people to follow Jesus together. That is what we are all about. You know, today is the most important day of the year for us as Christians. It's the day we celebrate Jesus rising from the dead. If you're a guest today, listen, we're praying that God speaks to your heart. If you have questions, we pray that maybe today in some way that they're answered. But most of all, that God would simply encounter you. He wants to know you and he loves you more than you'll ever understand. I've called this sermon The Power of Grace. In fact, all month long, we're going to go through this series called The Power of Grace. And over the next few weeks, we're going to look at these different stories when Jesus encountered people and displayed his grace. So the power of grace is that creator God who is perfectly holy. And we're going to start here. He's perfectly 
holy, was willing to forgive and restore us. His power over death is our power over death. And I want to say, if Will's still in here, Will, man, you always pick great songs with great theology, and that means a lot to me. How many know when we were singing that earlier? His resurrection life, it's resurrecting me. It's resurrecting me. Like Paul said in Romans, his death becomes our death. His life becomes our life. So I thought before we would just jump in to the, you know, to the end of Luke or the end of, of John, the Gospels, when Jesus rises from the dead, I, I felt like the Holy Spirit said, hey, I want you to go to uh, the tabernacle. Go to the tabernacle. So in Exodus, everybody say Exodus, right? We learn, I know some of you just went Charleston Heston, right? No, in Exodus, we learn about the people of God being in captivity to the abusive hand of Pharaoh, an evil, self-centered ruler who had enslaved them in Egypt. You may have heard about Moses, where God uses Moses to be the mouthpiece to speak to Pharaoh and to take them out of captivity and across the Red Sea on dry land. Now, can you imagine, can you imagine this crazy guy named Moses rises up and says, we're going to escape Pharaoh. You're going to actually have freedom. You're not going to be a slave anymore. Follow me. They go out. They see the miracles. They see the plagues. They see Pharaoh finally releasing them. They get to this, this water. They get to this shore, and they feel like, oh, man, now we're stuck. Now we're trapped. And Moses just raises his, his staff. Now, you have to realize this is just a stick, right? It'd be like me being like, Rawr. Right? He's like, God says, just raise your, he's, but he does it. He raises his staff and the waters part. They start walking across. There's turtles, there's fish on either side of the wall. Can you imagine it? Let God touch your imagination this morning. And they rescued from slavery. And this is a picture of what Jesus does for us. In fact, here's how we're going to begin. God's rescue of his people has always been marked by the miraculous. God's rescue of his people. Can we all say that out loud? God's rescue of his people has always been marked by the miraculous. By the way, if you're a guest, this is why you might have heard some people shouting today. You might think, why are they shouting? Don't you know in church you're supposed to be like this? All right? The reason sometimes we just get extra excited is because we remember the miracle. And I'm looking out at some of you and I know your story. I know your story. You've told me your story about what life was like before Christ, whether you were all bound up in bitterness or anger, right? Or whether it was drugs or whether it was addiction or maybe it was just this self-centered mess where you just ruined, burned every bridge, right? Of relationships, whatever it is, God restores you and forgives you and makes you a new person. So when that happens in your life, you tend to get excited. You tend to get happy and full of joy. You see, God's rescue was miraculous. The exodus of Egypt was miraculous. The tabernacle, there was this tent that God instructed them to uh, build in the wilderness. And guys, I want you to imagine something. Over this tent, there is a pillar of fire. Now, how many of you guys have a fireplace in your house? Okay, this was not that. It's not some little fireplace. How many of you guys have the fireplace, the, the gas, you know, the cheat, you just turn the switch on. Come on, Americans. You just, anybody? Nobody? Wow. Okay, great. All right, moving on. This was not that. 
This was not that. This is pillar of, you, you don't be, an, you're not an Israelite and you wonder like, I wonder if God's real. It's like, huge fire, huge. Can you see it? Huge fire. And during the day, there's a cloud of smoke, a cloud by day to keep you shade in the shade. How many say that's a miracle? Every other people group is under the scorching heat and you're just like, oh, it's nice and breezy over here, right? This is a miracle. God miraculously drops food from heaven. He has water coming out of rocks. I mean, this is miracle after miracle after miracle. Think of the first covenant as a service order for worship, Zach Nee says. The tabernacle, the tent of meeting, was a way in which God could be united with his special creation. The tabernacle in the first covenant was a type of service order for worship. This was God's way to unite his people with himself. And in this tabernacle, he designed a sacrifice to be made once a year from the high priest to atone for everybody. Now you say, what do you mean by a tabernacle? Well, I'll tell you what I mean. I got a picture for you. Put it to, how many guys like picture books? Come on, somebody's still like eight years old in your heart, right? You love, okay, here we go. I got a picture. Elijah, this is just for you. I got a picture. You've got the outer courtyard and people would enter in, okay? There was an altar there where sacrifice was made. If you want to read about this more, you can look up Exodus 27. Next, there was the laver, right? Or the laver, as some people call it. A bronze basin of water that showed the reflection to the priests of who they are. And that serves as a type of the Bible. It shows us a reflection of who we are. Aaron and his sons were required by law to wash their hands and feet before proceeding in. Then there was a holy place, that first white arrow. And then there was the most holy place separated by a veil. Ever see the yellow arrow? A veil, a big three-inch thick curtain. Now they had to literally tie bells on a rope around their feet so that if the priest fell over dead because he had sin in his life, they would just drag out his dead corpse. Let me say that's pretty intense. And I feel like God wanted us to go there this morning so you realize the gravity of sin and the holiness of God. That's what I felt like he wanted to do this year, that we realize the gravity of sin, the holiness of God, and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Put up that next picture. This is like zoomed in. So that, see that blue line right in the center there? That's the veil. I would say the veil. So the veil was the separation between God and man. All of this served as a picture of God's holy law and righteous judgment, for he is the righteous judge. He is the righteous judge. He knows what's right and wrong, right? We have these crazy phrases now in 2021 in, in our society, like my truth and your truth. There, that doesn't make sense. There's only the truth. There's the truth decided by God, instituted by God. He is truth itself. It's not like the righteous judge had to go to college to learn what truth is. No, he is truth. That's why all his judgments are right is because he is right. God, I want you to get this, God is the one who initiates our redemption. God is the one. Everybody say, God is the one. Now you got to get this deep in your spirit because there's a lot of faiths who at the end of the day, the onus is put on you to get your act together. 
The onus is put on you. But what we have in the Bible, the beauty of the gospel, is that Jesus did what you could, you could not do. And Jesus did what I could not do. So we have this tabernacle, right? And this serves as a picture of the holiness of God, the sacrifice of the lamb, and the sinfulness of man. Now, hundreds of years later, Jesus, God's son, is given to mankind, right? Born to a young virgin named Mary. By the way, I said born to a virgin. Again, God's deliverance is always marked by the miraculous. So what does the Bible say about Jesus, right? Look at this, Hebrews 9. If you've got your Bibles, Hebrews 9, or if you can look at the screen. For Christ has entered not into holy places built with hands, not the tabernacle, this is just a copy of the true thing. But into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest would enter the holy place every year with blood, not of his own, right? Because he would sacrifice the blood of a lamb. For then he would have to suffer repeatedly. But as it is, he appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as is it appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting for him. How many of that's you? How many of you are eagerly awaiting Jesus to come back? I want to tell you, if you're a guest today, or maybe you've been following Jesus for 20 years, Jesus is coming back. And just like Jesus came 2,000 years ago, and he died a criminal's death, and he rose on the third day. You say, how can you believe that? I want to go on a, just a quick 30-second tangent. I was listening to this uh, theologian here maybe a month or two ago, and he said one of the things that speaks to the historicity of the Bible is that it's not just a fact pointed down, and it's like, okay, somebody could have wrote that fact down and then just been copied, copied, copied. Right? But the fact that there is variations in the testimonies tells you of its accuracy. The fact that you had multiple disciples claiming pretty much the same thing but using little variations shows you that it happened. It'd be just like if you and I went to a car wreck, right? Actually, I had a car wreck this week. Would you like to hear about it? Who would like to laugh at my embarrassment? Anybody? Yeah. Girl, every time. Every time. So I'm driving. I would like to say a deer just came out of nowhere. I would like to say that. I would like to say I was thinking so deeply about the Lord in heaven that I just got distracted, but I have no excuse. I hit a fire hydrant, people. Yeah. I, John, John McClellan says, what happened to your car? I said, well, a fire hydrant just jumped out at me, just kicked me. Actually, I just hit it. <laughs> Sailor's with me. She's like, what happened? What did you do? Just like a supportive young child. And we got one of those supportive young children. She's like, what'd you do? Mom's going to kill you. And it's not like you could say, let's keep this a secret. How many of you dads ever done that, right? Like you go to Taco Bell before dinner, you're like, this is a secret. This Locos Taco is a secret. You can't keep that a secret. It's like a four-inch gap. I mean, a four-foot hole in my car. It's terrible. Anyway, why did I tell you that story? Oh, yeah. If someone came and saw that accident, they'd be like, oh, man, he came around the corner way too fast. I'm like, no, he was at a stoplight. He just turned right. No, let me tell you, that thing was way out on the side of the sidewalk. All of them would have little variations, but the fact is I hit a fire hydrant. 
That's the fact. And so all of these disciples have little variations in their testimony, but they all say this guy who we followed, who did miracle after miracle and served people and made us eat with the local mafia, like this crazy three and a half year journey we were on. He said he was going to die and he said he was going to rose and he did. He did. He rose from the dead. Now, why? How, how do we describe this? The Bible says that Jesus is the perfect high priest who offers himself. Now, what was that three and a half years like? I feel like Jesus said to me this week as, we were, as I was just studying is, hey, before we just jump to the resurrection, I want you to imagine this. Imagine you're walking with Jesus. He sees someone who's blind and he just walks over and heals him. Right? This is Jesus healing a blind man. There's people who are absolutely at the, bo- they're, they're at the bottom of the societal structure. They've been outed their whole life. In fact, in that culture, they were not only ostracized because of their physical impairments, but they believed there was such a tie to your morality that they would actually ask Whose sin caused his blindness? Whose sin caused you, you know, have, has anybody ever talked to a Christian like that? Just, just forgive them right now if they're still, right? Right? And whose, whose fault is it that they're crippled? Yet Jesus would never ask whose fault. He would just walk up and heal them. Blind. Never having the dignity of what all he feels uh, his peers have. He walk up, touch him, and he's healed. Can you imagine being Peter and James and John walking with Jesus every single day, never knowing what you're going to experience? Walking with Jesus, and he says, hey, we're actually going to go this way. Oh, that's out of the way, master. No, but I have, I have someone I want to meet. And you come, against, you come up to the woman at the well, the known prostitute, and Jesus starts talking to her. And you walk up on this scene, and you say, oh, you're not allowed to talk to her. You're not allowed. And they saw this grace just come out of him, constantly seeing every single criminal, prostitute, thief, Religious, self-centered person, every single person was a child of God to Jesus. That's the power of grace, right? So they're walking with it, with Jesus, three and a half years. And then suddenly everything changes one night at dinner. Jesus is at the supper table with the disciples. He serves them bread and wine, and he starts to say, I am going to be sacrificed This is my body. It's going to be torn in two. And one of you is going to betray me. And they're like, no, I I would never do that. I would never do that, right? Some of the disciples are vying for position. But who's going to be the most important? And in this questioning, Jesus grabs a towel around his waist, gets a basin of water, kneels down, and washes their feet. And they're blown away by this servant. He clearly has all power. This is the same guy who spoke to the waves that are crashing over their boat. And he said, be still. And they stopped. How does he have that much power? And he's washing my feet. The next thing you know, they're in a garden. He's betrayed by one of their friends. 
Judas comes up, gives him a kiss. And in that moment, that kiss on the cheek, he says, hey, do what you've come to do. And when the Roman soldiers wanted to verify, is this him? He says, I am he. (laughs) I want to tell you something kind of funny. When he says, I am he, they all fall down. That's what the gospel says. He literally says, I am he, and they all fall down. By the way, wouldn't you take a hint at that moment? You come to arrest Jesus, and he says, I am he, and everybody falls down. I'd be like, I ain't touching him. You know? But possessed by their greed and the evil in their hearts, they said, no, we, we, we have to kill him. The religious, religious leaders say, he's taking our followers. We've got to get rid of them. And they take him away, and they mock him, and they beat him, and they torture him. They surround him and mock him. For hours this goes on. They pluck out his beard. They put a crown of thorns on him. Scripture says they beat him beyond recognition. Isaiah, when prophesying about Jesus, says they couldn't even recognize him anymore. They couldn't even recognize him anymore. They hung him on the cross and on the sign above him that read King of the Jews. They were being sarcastic yet prophesying that he indeed is king. Can you imagine being Peter? We played a video at uh, Passion Service that I felt like the, the Lord wanted us to play again because before we can really celebrate the resurrection, we need to remember the crucifixion. Before you can fully grasp the power of that moment, of that love, of that movement of God, you got to stop for a minute and realize why did he go through that? all to tear the veil, to to take the separation from you and God away. Imagine being Simon Peter as as you listen to this song. I still recall The room where we were gathered And as you talked We hung on to your every word You stood and wrapped a towel around your Put a bowl and knelt down at my place And I cried, but only you
Jesus chose to suffer so we wouldn't have to. He was separated from the Father for a few moments so we would not be separated for eternity. Are you so grateful for that? Jesus gave Simon Peter a second chance. You know, I was rereading it again this last week and it hit me. It's so neat that Jesus comes to Peter while he's on a fishing boat again. Three and a half years earlier, right, he comes and he says, hey, I'll make you a fisher of men. And now in Peter's lowest moment, he feels the silence of regret. He's alone on the boat, no fish, no progress, just disillusionment, right? And Jesus says, hey, try the other side. And scripture, one of the gospels says, Peter jumps out of the boat and runs towards him. I love that. Peter is so excited that Jesus would give him another chance. Now let's go back to that tabernacle. The veil, guys, that separated the holy place, the presence of God, it was torn in two. Jesus made a way. Jesus went past that veil. The moment his blood hit the ground, the veil was torn in two. And it's not coincidence, it was at 3 o'clock. 3 o'clock, right when the sacrifice was being made by the high priest in the temple, his friends were up on Golgotha, crucifying Jesus. Imagine that veil being torn in two. What does that tell you? You can have access to God. Friendship with God. Hebrews 7 says it like this, a better Hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. You can have friendship with God. God, the creator of the universe, he's all powerful, yes, but he is incredibly personal. He's all knowing, but he wants to know what's on your heart. Isn't that amazing? This is Jesus. This is the God of heaven and earth. Turn to Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. If you got your Bibles or a Bible app on your phone, Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened through us or opened for us through the curtain, that is his flesh, we have a great high priest, Jesus, over the house of God. Let us draw near with a true heart of faith. You see, Jesus is the veil that was torn in two so you can have access to God. How many would raise your hand and say, I have blown it before? I've sinned. How many would raise your hand, right? And if you're at home today and, and you're thinking, well, Pastor Jordan, you got to realize I'm actually a pretty good person. How many ever bought into that lie that you're really not a bad guy? And, and you do this, you're like, well, I've never killed anyone. 
right? You start comparing yourself to others, but no, that's, what, that's not what the law does. The tabernacle shows us that we don't compare our righteousness one to another. We look upon the God who is himself righteous. He is the righteous judge. And that oneness with God, to enter his perfect heaven, you must be perfected. You must be washed clean of all your sin. Now, can you and I ever do that? No, but Jesus can. And I want to close with comparing two people, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. How many of you ever heard of Nicodemus? Right? Nicodemus is one of the religious elite. And scripture says, we don't know a lot about him, but we do know this. He's a religious Pharisee. He comes to Jesus in the middle of the night. So imagine John Gartner. Everybody say, hi, John. Thanks for being my voluntold person today. Imagine John comes into my office and he sees that my car, he's driving by and he sees my car is still here at nine o'clock and he comes in and he, he says, Pastor Jordan. I said, what? He says, I don't want anybody to see me on Sundays. So I'm here at nine o'clock. Don't tell my wife. Don't tell all my friends. I don't want them thinking I'm a religious nut. I don't want them thinking I actually believe. I just have a couple of questions for you. So Nicodemus comes to him at night. And he's basically saying, is all this real or not? Because I, I can sense, I mean, think about it. He's meeting him in the middle. He's got, he knows there's a power on Jesus' voice. He knows there's something about this miracle worker. So he, tell, he asks him some question, and Jesus says, well, you have to be born again. And Nicodemus says, well, I can't enter back into my mother's womb. Don't you love when people don't get the metaphor? Right? And Jesus is like, he slaps him. No, he doesn't. But he says, no, 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 no. You have to be born again. You got to be made a new person. And now here's where the problem is with Nicodemus. He doesn't need made new. Because in his mind, he's already perfect. And this is the question today. Is do you believe in Jesus? And do you believe you need him? Because see, Joseph of Arimathea, the gospel says that he came, he was this rich man, also a Pharisee, which means they probably spent a lot of time in the, te in the tabernacle together, in the tent, or I'm sorry, the temple together. Right? They're in the temple together. They've, they've gone through the Torah together. They've me maybe memorized it together. Maybe they were a good Jewish boy and they memorized the whole, maybe they went every single day. Very likely. But now he believes in Jesus, but he too doesn't want anyone to know. So his faith is private. And he really doesn't even know if he believes, so he doesn't make it public at all until Jesus dies. Now, why does he come to the Romans and say, I want his body? Well, one, it fulfills prophecy. How many know there's nothing by accident? It fulfills prophecy, and, it, and, and he comes and he says, hey, I want the body of Jesus. And this is why the centurion will says, well, what do you mean? He's already dead? Because it usually would take 24 to 48 hours for them to die. But this was only 3 o'clock. But again, no coincidence. Why? The high priest made the sacrifice at 3 o'clock. God knows what he's doing. And God orchestrated this moment where Jesus gives his life. He dies at 3 o'clock. Joseph of Arimathea, a rich guy, a well-known guy in the religious community, he says, I want his body. Why? Apparently he wants to serve him even in his death. He was too ashamed, too embarrassed to come to Jesus 
while he was living, but now that he's dead, he cannot fight, right, this conviction in his heart that he too needs Jesus, that he needs the way. And they allow this to happen. He's, he's buried in his tomb. And how many of y'all know the story, right? Peter goes back to fishing. Everybody goes back to what they knew to do. Some of the disciples literally just on the third day, they're hiding, they're hiding in a room together. Why? Their Lord was just crucified. They're thinking they're going to be crucified too. And you know the story. Mary goes to the tomb and finds an angel telling, why are you looking for the, living, for the, for the living among the dead? He's risen. And she's like, what? Everybody just go, what? What? That was pretty good. That was pretty good. And they're shocked. She's shocked. She runs back and she tells the disciples. Now, how many of you guys know they didn't believe it? And because they didn't believe it, Jesus is like, I'll show them. And he just walks through the door. That's a good Sunday service when Jesus just walks through the door. He walks through the door, right? And they can't believe it. They're shocked by this, right? And one of these guys, man, leave it up to Thomas, like, oh, I'm not going to believe it until I touch him. You know? How hard-hearted do we become sometimes to not believe in the risen Lord? He said he was going to rise from the dead. He rose from the dead, and he walks through the wall. Right? He's risen from the dead. And my question for you today is who do you most identify with out of Joseph of Arimathea or Nicodemus? Will you swallow your pride and say, you know what? I thought I didn't need Jesus, but now I realize I do. Or will you, like Nicodemus, walk away in sadness and say, I don't need him. I can get my act together on my own. Right? You have that opportunity this morning to submit to God, to believe that Jesus did die so that you could have access to God. And even more importantly, that he rose from the dead. Because like Paul said, if he did not rise, then where, where is our faith? It's not that a good man died for a good cause. It's that the Lord himself, your creator, died in your place and rose to new life so you could have new life. Would you bow your heads? I want to invite the worship team up. And as they're coming up, I want to give you an opportunity this morning. If God's been speaking to your heart, especially maybe this last 10 minutes, you feel like God is just making your heart pound for some reason. You feel like you need this. And maybe you've got all kinds of excuses as to why you don't want to give your heart to Jesus right now. Maybe you say, well, I'm already religious, but have you admitted your sin? You see, Nicodemus was very religious. He went to the temple every week, but he too needed Jesus, just like the criminal hanging on the side of Jesus. And he says, Master, remember me today in paradise. And Jesus says, Today, you'll be with me in paradise. That is the power of grace, that God would take a mess of a man. And he would take someone 
who may look all perfect on the outside. Maybe you look all religious like Nicodemus, but maybe you've got some anger building up. You've got some bitterness in your heart. And maybe just a lot of pride that needs admitted. It needs crucified today. And you say, you know what? I've been religious, but I've not been faithful. I've been religious, but I've never admitted my need for Jesus to become my Savior, to forgive me of sin. If that's you this morning and you want to be born again, a new person from the inside out, let him do that right now. I want you to raise your hand. I'm not going to call you forward. Just right where you're at, just raise your hand, and we're going to pray together. Amen. That's incredible. I see someone. Is there anybody else? I'm going to give you another minute. Again, what if you say, well, no, I've already been in church a long time, but I feel this need to raise my hand. I feel this need. I I, I grew up in church, and you're, you're making up all the reasons as to why you shouldn't raise your hand and say, I need a Savior. But friend, that's the Holy Spirit of God. He's the voice of God on the earth, and he's talking to you. He's saying, let go of that pride. Ask for help. Give you just another minute. And if you're online and you're listening, let God make you a new person today. One more chance. Raise your hand if you'd like to give your heart to Jesus. We're going to pray together. Can we all maybe pray this? Repeat after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I don't want my pride to stop me from following you. You are the way, the truth, and the life. Forgive me of my sin. Wash me clean. Make me a new person. Born again choose to follow you. Like Peter, I'll lay my life down for you because you are worthy. Because you died in my place. You took my sin and you rose to new life. Your power over death is my power over death. Thank you, Jesus. Are you so thankful for Jesus? We had two people give their heart to Christ. I believe one was a rededication over here. One more this morning, three people. Come on, can we stand up and praise God? Let's stand up and worship him. We're going to do this song that says, Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all. And I feel led to say something before we sing this. I really feel in my spirit there's one or two, I believe two people, who you like really wanted to raise your hand. And I keep hearing the word spouse. You're worried about your spouse for some reason. You keep thinking, well, my spouse, my spouse is going to think I haven't been saved this whole time. My spouse is going to think your spouse will not be with you on Judgment Day. I hate to say that. I know that sounds so harsh. I love my spouse. There's no one like Danielle. She's the best. She's amazing. She's my best friend. But when I stand before Jesus, Danielle won't be there. I'll be right there before Jesus, right? 
And the question is, did I let Jesus forgive me? So on your way home, on your way home, do you know you can give your heart to Christ? I've heard people say in their living room, they were convicted all day long. They got home and they knelt right there at their bed. Tears of repentance. Let God speak to you, but don't let the moment pass you. Amen? Let's sing this, Jesus paid it. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it Let our response be worship to him today. I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in you just thank him right now. Jesus, we thank you, Lord. We worship you, Jesus. Lord, now indeed I find thy power and thine alone can change the leper's spot.
God, we know that there is no one like you. No one else has gone in to the holy place and sacrificed themselves. No one else could have done that. No one else is perfect. You are perfect. No one else is perfectly righteous. You're perfectly righteous. No one else has that incredible amount of grace that you would die for me, a criminal. You would pay a criminal's penalty and die in my place, but God, you rose again. And your power over sin and death has become our power over sin and death. So God, we respond with a big thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Can you one more time put your hands together for Jesus and praise him? Come on, just let out your praise one more time. Jesus, we praise you, we worship you. Let us be like Simon Peter and say, God, I'm so thankful you gave me another chance. I lay my life down, God, to feed your sheep. God, because where are you? You're right there among the hurting and the broken. So we worship you. We worship you. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Listen, happy Easter. Turn to two or three people and say, happy Easter. Enjoy a great day with friends and family.